Good evening. This is Patrick Donahue. Appreciate you listening every week at this same to Bible Crossfire. <clears throat> Last week we were discussing from the scriptures people who were religious but needed to make a change. Now, this kind of seems to be a foreign idea to most religious people today. Most people say, oh, if you're religious, you're okay. You don't need to make a change. You're religious. That's it. But if that's true, how come in the Bible we find all kinds of religious people who needed to make a change? Even people who were religious in the sense of wanting to follow the true God, they still needed to make a change. Here's, we went through some New Testament examples last week, and maybe we'll come back and review those in a minute. But let's look at an example in the Old Testament. In each of these examples in the Bible, I want us to be thinking, well, are there people like that today? Because we're not getting anything out of the Bible if we don't make application to ourselves. Are there people like that today? So I'm suggesting some who are religious today, even claiming to follow Jesus Christ, may be doing things they think God would have them to do, but things that actually run contrary to God's word. Now, a good example of this is in the Old Testament is Uzzah. Let me read 1 Chronicles 13, 7 through 10. Before I do, remember, God had told the Israelites never to touch the Ark of the Covenant with human hand. They were supposed to carry it by putting four, two long poles through four rings that were on the sides of of the ark, then they could use the ends of those poles as handles and carry the ark. But in First Chronicles 13, we read, they carried the ark of God in a new cart, and Uzzah drave the cart. And when they came unto the threshing floor of Chidon, Uzzah put forth his hand to hold the ark, for the oxen stumbled. Now, I'm pretty sure you'll agree with me that Uzzah thought, was thinking, he had good motivation, he was thinking that God would want him to reach his hand up there and steady the ark to keep the ark from falling, because if it falls and hits the ground, it may break. But God has said, never touch the ark. So verse 10 says, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and he smote him because he put his hand to the ark, and there he died before God. So here we have the case of Uzzah in the Old Testament. Today, we don't have to worry about touching the ark. I doubt it, it still exists, and we're never told in the New Testament either to touch the ark or not touch the ark. But Uzzah and the other Israelites were told not to touch the ark. He's in a situation where he thinks he's helping God by touching the ark to keep it from falling. But he does something that God told him not to do. And God was obviously displeased. He struck him dead. I think there's a lot of people like that today. There's a lot of people like that today who may be thinking they're practicing Christianity and they're doing things they think God would have them to do, but they're actually doing things that run contrary to God's word. For example, women, preachers, 1 Corinthians 14, 34 and 35 says, Let your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak. But they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for women to speak in the church. I'm not sure there's a passage in the Bible that's any clearer on any subject than this passage is on the topic of women preachers. Yet I'm told that three out of every four churches across America and Canada allow women to speak from the pulpit. Why is it when this verse is so clearly against it that so many churches, the great majority of churches, allow it? Well, they're not really following the Bible anymore. They're following what they want to do, what they think will bring in the most people, what's politically correct. But here we have some women who are preachers. There may be some women out there preaching for the money or for the attention, but I've got to believe some of them are sincere. Many of them may be sincere. They may be thinking they're helping the cause of Christ by preaching from the pulpit. 
But what did we just learn from First Chronicles 13? Don't do something that God has told you not to do, even if you think it will help God. That's what Isaiah did. He, he was doing something he thought would help God, but he did something God had said not to do. I think there's a lot of people out there today who think they're practicing Christianity. They're doing things that are running contrary to God's word, uh, but they don't think it matters because they think they're helping God, even when they do something against God's word. For example, the gay churches. A lot of them think they're they're showing love the way God would want them to show love, but it's the exact opposite. They're doing things and preaching things and allowing things that run contrary to God's word. Proverbs 14, verse 12 says, there's a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. So just because something seems right to us, that doesn't necessarily make it right. It may seem right. I mean, if it were up to me, I would allow women to preach from the pulpit. They're just as smart as men. They can teach just as well as men. Why not? But is it up to me? It's not up to me. So I have to follow God's word. It may seem right unto me, but the end there are the ways of death if it runs contrary to God's word. Here's a lot of people doing that. They're religious people, but they're doing things running contrary to God's word. They need to make a change. Now, if you have a Bible question or comment, the lines are wide open. Give us a call at 877-655-6755. If you have a Bible question or comment, call us at 877-655-6755. Another example of religious people who needed to make a change or who may need to make a change today. That's the main point. Some today are religious, but not really obeying God. Let me read Matthew 7, 21 through 23 along those lines. Jesus said there, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my father, which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. There may be a lot of people out there that are claiming to prophesy in the name of God or to cast out devils in the name of God, but they're not being obedient. Perhaps they allow people to divorce and remarry for any reason. Instead of going by what Jesus said in Matthew 19, 9, whoever puts away their wife except it be for fornication, and marries another, commits adultery. I'm thinking about 95% of the churches out there allow that. They might say that divorce is bad, but 20% of the membership is in a second or third marriage that violates what Jesus said in Matthew 19.9. They're in an adulterous marriage. So they say, I'm religious. I love God. And they may call God's name a lot. We do everything in the name of God. But they allow adulterous marriages. They're not doing the will of the father in heaven. Jesus is going to say to them on the last day, I never do you depart from me. Ye that were, ye that work iniquity. It doesn't matter how good we talk about Christ, talk about God. If we're going to allow adulterous marriages, well, then we're going to have trouble when it comes time to face God in judgment, because we're not doing the will of the father, which is in heaven. When he talks about divorce and remarriage. Number three, some believers are not actually abiding in the doctrine or teaching of Christ. I mean, you may have asked the question when I first brought this up this evening. Pat, what do you mean people are religious, but they need to make a change? Well, it's obvious because they're religious. They're claiming to practice Christianity, but they're not really following the truth. I mean, after all, it can't, both things can't be true. 
it can't both be true that baptism has to be immersion and also it be true that baptism can be sprinkling. Both of those can't be true. So two churches, one that churches, one church teaches baptism has to be immersion. Another church teaches that sprinkling will suffice. They can't both be right. Two plus two can't equal four and five at the same time. Somebody is not abiding in the doctrine or teaching of Christ. Let me, where'd I take that phrase from? Second John nine, which says, whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the father and the son. So you have to abide in the doctrine or the teaching of Christ to have God. And you can't be saved without God. The only way we're going to be saved is through the grace and mercy of God. So if you're not abiding in the doctrine, the teaching of Christ, you don't have God, you're not going to be saved. And all these churches teaching different things, all these preachers teaching different things, if they're teaching things contrary to one another, they can't all be abiding in the doctrine of Christ. Yet most people who claim to be Christians think everybody's going to be saved just as long as they claim to be a Christian, even though they all teach different things. And obviously, it's basically an impossibility for the all of them to be abiding in the doctrine, the teaching of Christ. And you have to abide in the doctrine or the teaching of Christ to have God to be saved, according to Second John 9. So there's a lot of people out here that are religious, claim to be practicing Christianity, but because they're not abiding in the teaching of Christ, the doctrine of Christ, they need to make a change, just like what we've been going over. We need to start getting serious with this idea of religion. If we really want to go to heaven, we're going to not just believe in Christ, but we're going to believe in him strongly enough to follow his teachings. If you have a Bible question or comment, the number to call is 877-655-6755. The lines are wide open. Now, we've been talking about those who are not abiding in the teaching of Christ. There are some who maybe know the truth on some particular thing, but they're remaining in churches which are not abiding in the doctrine or teaching of Christ. Perhaps you're part of a church that allows a woman to preach from the pulpit. What should you do when you understand that 1 Corinthians 14, 34, and 35 plainly forbids that? What should you do? Well, try to get them to change. Try to get them to repent, to quit allowing women to preach from the pulpit. And if they won't, find a church that doesn't allow that. Because the next two verses, we read verse 9, the next two verses, 2 John 10 and 11 says, If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, Receive him not into your house, neither bid him God's speed, for he that biddeth him God's speed is partaker of his evil deeds. So even if I'm abiding in the teaching of Christ, if I'm helping somebody else who's in sin or encouraging somebody else in their sin, I become a partaker in their evil deeds. That's why it's so important to worship with the church that's faithfully following God's word so I don't become a partaker in somebody else's sin. Here's the illustration I use all the time. It's going to be impossible for me to commit the sin of being a woman preacher. Why? Because I'm not a woman. I'm a man. So I'm not going to be able to commit that sin of being a woman preacher. But suppose I worship with the church that allows women to preach from the pulpit and I go along with it. I don't object to it. I don't try to get them to change. Then I, because I'm bidding God's speed to what they're doing, I become a partaker of their evil deeds. I become an accomplice to their sin. So there's a lot of people in the Bible that were religious, but they needed to make a change. And you may think, wow, that's a new concept for me. I thought if you were religious, if you were trying to follow, you know, God doing what your preacher told you to do, that you're okay. No, 
the Bible has all kinds of people in the Bible. In the New Testament, people who were religious, but they needed to make a change to be saved, to go to heaven, because even though they were religious, they weren't really following the truth, or they were with a church, a religion that wasn't following the truth. Truth. I mean, we mentioned some examples last week. The first example we mentioned last week was Saul of Tarsus. Acts 26.5 says he knew from the beginning that after the most straightest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. Paul was very religious. He wasn't a hypocrite like a lot of the Pharisees we see arguing with Jesus. He was a conscientious Pharisee. He lived in all good conscience until this day, Acts 23.1. But what was he doing? He was, he thought, he thought the Jewish religion was the right religion even after it was obsolete. So much so he was persecuting Christians, the people who were part of the right religion. He needed to make a change. So the Lord appeared to him on the road to Damascus. He believed in Jesus. And three days later, he was told this in Acts 22, 16. Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Here saw a very religious person in the Jewish religion, very zealous, very conscientious, but he needed to get baptized to get his sins washed away by the blood of Christ. See, he needed to make a change because even though he was very religious, he wasn't following the truth. If you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call at 877-655-6755. We mentioned last week Cornelius. Cornelius, if you're looking at Acts 10, 1 through 6, it says, and we read these verses last week, he's a devout man. He feared God with all his house. He gave much alms to the people, many charitable deeds. Pray to God always. Well, isn't that a saved man? Devout, fears God, helps people charity-wise, prays to God always. He's very religious, but he needed to make a change. He needed to make a change. Peter was told to go to him. He would call for Peter, who shall tell thee words whereby thou and all thy house shall be saved, Acts 11, 13 and 14. So he wasn't saved. He was very religious, but he wasn't saved. He needed to obey the gospel. I believe there's a lot of people like Cornelius today. They're very devout. They fear God. They're very involved in doing charitable deeds. They pray to God all the time, but they've never really obeyed the gospel. As a matter of fact, if you ask them, have you obeyed the gospel? They would say, what's that? Because their preacher never talks about obeying the gospel. All their preacher talks about is how you got to believe in Jesus to be saved. That all you have to do to be saved is accept Jesus Christ as your personal savior. He never talks about all those passages that talk about obeying the gospel. I mean, there's a lot of them. I'm turning to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 8. Here's one of them. It says, In flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. So yes, you definitely have to know God. You have to believe in Him, in Him confidently. But in addition to that, you have to obey the gospel. It takes both of those things to avoid the flaming fire vengeance that God's going to give to people on the last day. A lot of religious people don't even know what obeying the gospel is because they're never, their preacher never mentions it. All he mentions is you got to believe in Christ to be saved. He never talks about obeying the gospel. They're religious people, but they're not going to be saved. They've never obeyed the gospel, don't even know what it is. They're religious people, but they need to make a change. We mentioned last week Apollos in Acts 18, 24 through 26. Let's notice some, some of the key words in that passage, which we read last week. Here's Apollos, says he's an eloquent man. So he's out trying to preach God's word. 
It says he's mighty in the scriptures. Well, that helps. You need to be mighty in the scriptures if you want to be able to preach God's word effectively. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord, fervent in the spirit, meaning very zealous, taught diligently the things of the Lord. Well, to 99.9% of the people out there, they would say, well, Paulus is fine like he is. He's mighty in the scriptures, instructed in the way of the Lord, fervent, teaches diligently the things of the Lord. But it says, knowing only the baptism of John. His knowledge was incomplete. So Aquila and Priscilla took him aside and taught him the way of God more perfectly. He's a good example of a religious person that needed to make a change. And thankfully, Apollos didn't get defensive and say, no, I'm already a great preacher. I mean, who are you to tell me that I need to make a change? He didn't get defensive. Instead, he humbly submitted to this new information to get in God's will completely. And then there's some people in the beginning of Acts chapter 19 who possibly were taught by Apollos. I say possibly, we don't know for sure, but they were in Ephesus and they believed what Apollos was teaching before he was corrected. They had been baptized with the baptism of John evidently after it became obsolete. I mean, when John was out baptizing for the remission of sins, you had to do it to get the remission of sins, but he was teaching basically believe on the one who's coming. Well, that was fine at that time because that's what they were to believe. But once Jesus has come as the Messiah, has died, has been resurrected, you just can't believe the Messiah is coming. You've got to believe Jesus is the Messiah. You've got to believe he's died for our sins and been resurrected from the dead, Romans 10, 9 and 10. So people who are baptized based upon that old belief, the Messiah is coming, that wouldn't work anymore. So when they heard this, Paul told them this, they were baptized again. Acts 19, 1 through 5. They were very religious. They had been even immersed as believers, but their baptism was unscriptural because it was based upon a wrong belief. There may be a lot of people like that today. I was that way myself when I was growing up. I was immersed as a believer, but I was baptized based upon an incorrect belief, so I needed to be baptized again for the correct reason, just like these people in Acts 19, 1 through 5, although it's for a different reason. It still was parallel to that. If you have a Bible question or comment, call us at 877-655-6755. Here I'm reading Acts 2, verse 38. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Peter's telling believers in Acts 2 they have to repent and be baptized to get the remission of sins. Yet a lot of churches will teach you that baptism is not necessary to get in the remission of sins. Do they do they know about Acts 2.38? Do they care what Acts 2.38 says? I mean, it's inspired of God. Mark 16.16, 16, Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. So Jesus taught this same thing, that you've got to not only believe, you've got to be baptized to be saved. Peter's saying not only do you have to believe, but you have to repent of your sins and get baptized to get the remission of sins. So when a, per, a believer is baptized, that's when he gets the forgiveness of his sins. That's assuming that he repents, that he makes a commitment to change his life, to quit serving sin, to start serving Christ in righteousness. And then when he's baptized, God is going to expect him to follow through on that commitment. And if he doesn't, he can lose his salvation. We know from Galatians 5 verse 4, some people trying to bind the old law. He says, you are fallen from grace. Now, a lot of churches will say it's impossible for a Christian to fall from grace. Paul said these people had fallen from grace. Now, you can't fall from a tree unless you're in the tree to start with. You can't fall from grace unless you're in grace to start with, saved. And then if you fall from grace, 
which Galatians 5, 4 says you can, that means you lose your salvation. But all these churches out here want to teach once saved, always saved. Why? The Bible doesn't teach it. Why do they want to teach that? Because they want to be able to live any way they want to and still be saved. No. If you want to be saved, you're going to change your life and live the way Christ wants you to live. Remember that passage we read in Matthew 7, 21? What did Jesus say there? Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. It's not enough just to believe in Christ. You've got to do the will of the Father, which is in heaven, to go to heaven. You have to obey. It's trust and obey, just like that famous hymn teaches. A lot of people sing that hymn, but evidently they're not listening to the words. You know, about Jesus, Hebrews 5, 9 says this. He became the author, and the newer translations will say source. He became the author or source of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. See, it takes more than just belief. If you want eternal salvation, you're going to have to obey Jesus. A lot of people are religious out here. They believe in Jesus. They go to church maybe every Sunday, but they're not obeying Jesus. So according to that verse, they're not going to receive eternal salvation. According to Matthew 7, 21, they're not going to go to heaven because they're not doing the will of the Father which is in heaven. They're religious, but they need to make a change if they want to go to heaven. So we've looked at the last couple of weeks, at least six or eight or ten examples of people in the Bible. Primarily, we've looked at New Testament examples, but a few in the old. People who were religious, but they needed to make a change. Just because they were religious doesn't mean they were going to be saved. No, not at all. You have to be following the truth if you want to be saved. I mean, what did Jesus say in John 8, 31 and 32? He says, if you continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. A lot of people out here claim to be Jesus' disciples, but they all believe and teach and practice different things. Jesus says you're only a true disciple, John 8, 31, if you continue in my word. So those who are not continuing in Jesus' word, those who are uh, uh, not following the truth are not going to be a true disciple, and verse 32 says, and you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Only the truth will make us free from sin. We have to follow the truth. Brent from Texas, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Hey, yeah, um, I was wondering about the guy on the cross, um, except that Jesus at the last second there and didn't uh, have an opportunity to walk in all the faith that you're talking about. You remember in Colossians 2.14, it says Jesus nailed that old law to the cross. So the Old Testament law was in effect. The, the thief on the cross didn't have to be baptized for the same reason Adam and Eve, Abraham, Moses, Noah, none of them had to be baptized. Their law never talks about it. Jesus talked about believing and being baptized to be saved in Mark 16.16. 16. That was many days after the thief died. So Hebrews 9, for example, in verse 16 and 17 says, For where a testament it is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is of force after men are dead. Otherwise, it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. So this law, this testament that says you have to be baptized to be saved, Mark 16, 16, Acts 2, 38, 1 Peter 3, 21, Acts 22, 16, didn't go into effect until a number of days after the thief died. He didn't have to be baptized for the same reason Abraham didn't have to be baptized. Their law didn't say you had to be baptized. But the law of Christ, which we're under today, 
does say you have to be baptized to be saved. Brent, does that answer your question? Yes, sir. Thank you very much. Appreciate you call, Brent. It's a good question. Yes, sir. Thanks. Maybe you have a, a, some a questions. You can always go to the website for Bible Crossfire, BibleCrossfire.com, and go there and listen to old programs or send me an email with a question. Sign up for a Bible correspondence course or request what, what I'm about to offer right now. I'm willing to study with you free over the phone, a one-hour phone Bible study with you at your convenience. You can go to BibleCrossfire.com and sign up for that, or you can call or text my cell phone number. If you would like a free one-hour phone Bible study with me sometime when it's convenient for you, morning, afternoon, or evening, I want you to call or text me at 256-682-9753. If you want a free Bible study over the phone at your convenience, call or text me 256-682-9753. Thanks for listening tonight.